The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. We're going to continue today in the book of Romans, and we're going to continue in Romans chapter 5, which I am, I mean, Romans 5, man, is just the stuff of stuff. Oh, you just can't beat it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 5, continuing in righteousness uh, and, or you could say versus, whatever, but righteousness and condemnation, which is really the theme of, um, in, in many ways, at least, at least most of the book of Romans um, really sums it up. <clears throat> now, very quickly, I decided, let's start in John chapter 8, actually. Used to, you'd say, hold your place, but it it's very rare that there's a hold your place because most of us are on devices, you know. Orla's holding down the fort, though, back there with that physical Bible. Bible. Keeping it real, baby. It is not. I, I'll be honest with you. It's one of those things. And I, this is not a hint. This Because if I was sitting there, I'd be doing the same thing. I'd be on my... I'm just saying, it is nice when you say turn to and you hear pages flipping. Oh, something about it. It's power. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's power, baby. Come on, Tim. John chapter 8. Uh, chapter 8. Uh-huh. And then let's jump down to verse 30. Something. All right, check this out. Verse 30. I just now started trying to. It says, as he spoke these things. Or wait a minute. Something's not. Yeah, it's off up here. I'm sorry. Let me. I'm just going to have to read it. Um, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Verse 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, in other words, this is before the cross, right? So they weren't even born again yet, leading up to, you know, so if you continue, keep believing in me, you know, that, that in other words, till the, the new birth, the regeneration, John 8, 31, then you are truly disciples of mine, 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And this is one of our, I mean, everybody likes that verse and they should. I stood on, this is one of the main verses I stood on when I was believing for freedom from addiction. Um, But there is a very specific context to this as well as a more generic context. The more generic context, which is true, would be like as charismatics, we, we often use this to say, you think sickness is your lot in life. Then you find out Jesus is the healer. So you found out the truth and the truth made you free. And that is true. But the, uh, that's, the, that's like the fruit on the, on the tree. The root of it is what Jesus goes on to say. It says, they answered him, verse 33, said, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. Well, I, I, I always wonder about that. I don't understand what, exactly where they're coming from, even at this time. They were under absolute Roman occupation. And then back up to Daniel, and you've got being under utter captivity to the Babylonians. Or look at, you know, uh, back to, you know, Egypt and, and all of that in uh, Book of Exodus. So there's any, and then you can look at the other tribes and uh, when, because you had Israel was divided, Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom, Northern Kingdom, 10 tribes, they went into Assyrian captivity, all right? And then you've got the southern kingdom of Judah who went into Babylonian captivity. 
Um, so anyway, you slice it. There's a lot of a lot of trying to figure out where they're coming from here. But um, yeah, it's jacked up up here. Sorry, but nonetheless. Um, so they, they say, how is it that you say you will become free? So verse 34, John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house. Now, this was a day when it was extremely common to have servants slash slaves, right? This was extremely common, uh, normal in different capacities. So if you're, you know, the the fella and the lady of the house, and you have kids, children. Well, the children are members of the household forever. In, in, you know, you understand? Like when I go home to Tennessee, it's just that. I go home. I'm not, you understand? That's, I'm not staying as a guest and I'm staying in my parents' home. And so I'm not just outside. I don't have to sleep in the barn or, you know, um, whereas a servant serves the family or the slave and then had quarter, you know, whatever they would arrange, but it could be outside, it could be in the barn, it could be the your own court, you know, whatever. But you don't have the same sonship, if you will. You don't have sonship. You don't, you're not a, you don't abide in the house forever. But look at what he says. But the son does remain, the son, generally, forever. Then he says in verse 36, so if the son makes you free, free from what? What's the context? Sin. The sin that reign over humanity, right? Um, so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And some of this language to the Jewish people, I think would have hearkened back to some degree, at least, um, to, you know, if you read different parts of the Old Testament, but uh, Leviticus and uh, different places would speak of it, um, you know, the year of Jubilee. You guys familiar with that every 50 years? And um, debts are canceled, slaves are set free, um, if they wanted to be, um, if the slave or the servant and loved, you know, there you go. All right, sweet. So, you know, they could, uh, they'd put their ear, you read that on Leviticus, they'd put their ear up on the tree and they'd pierce it. And anyways, all this stuff. But year of Jubilee, um, slaves are set free, debts are canceled, lands are restored to the original owners, all, you know, all these types of stuff. I believe this would draw their mind back to that, um, very much so. Whenever Jesus tells them, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Then he says this, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I've seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. And then Jesus goes on and has really some profound discussions here. But I want to jump back to Romans now, or, or to Romans now, with that in mind. Because really, Romans 1 through 8, chapter chapters 1 through 8, are really an unpacking of these few statements by Jesus. If the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. So Romans chapter 5, and then we're going to begin uh, picking up in verse 12. Romans 5, 12. It says, therefore, now not, we'll take some time through this because this stuff's so just profound. He says, therefore, just as through one man, so notice that, through one man, sin entered the world. So who's that? We all know. Adam. So just as through one man, sin entered the world. And then he says this, and death through sin. Now, he's going to talk a lot about death here in this chapter and life. And 
just as when he says life, he means spiritual life, the new birth, you know, salvation, all that. When he says death here, he is emphatically speaking of spiritual death. So he's not talking about physical death here. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Look at verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. And this next statement is so beautiful, so profound. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. And that's presently speaking. We are, there is no law of God enforced. You know, the Mosaic law. Therefore, sin is not imputed. And that's a huge difference here. And this goes back to Romans 1, um, where Paul says the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. So the law reveals the sin of man. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And you might say, well, good for God, but what about me? That's the good news. He gives you his righteousness. He shares it with you. Not even some generic secondhand, you know, when you get born again, when a person receives the, the gift of righteousness, salvation, it's not like the Lord has um, boxes of eternal life on the shelf that, are, that were made in a shop somewhere. He breathes his own life into us. Or the way I like to think of it is he breathes himself into us, right? So, so in Genesis, we see that the Lord breathed the breath of life into man. And it says man became a living soul. And that's what Jesus did in, in the gospel of John chapter 20. And of course, Jesus is God. And so now after the resurrection, he breathes on the disciples, doesn't he? And says, receive you the Holy Spirit. And that's not necessarily like, it certainly wasn't the baptism in the Holy Spirit because they got that later in Acts chapter two. This was, you could almost put a small S on that Holy Spirit, the new birth, even though it's the Holy Spirit who does that work, that regener regeneration, you know. Um, so just as God breathed life into man at the beginning, in the new covenant, in the regeneration, whatever you want to call it, the new creation, there too, God, Jesus, God in the flesh, breathed life back into man, Woo! which is awesome. All right. And so that, and, and Holy Spirit, one of the words for spirit, you know, in Hebrew, uh, ruach is breath. There's wind, but there's also breath. So um, Holy Spirit, he is the breath of God, right? And that's even what, uh, like in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul says that all scripture is inspired. And it's theonoustos, and in Greek, it literally means God breathed. So God breathed. Inspire is literally a way of saying inspirited. The spirit is in it. God's breath is in it. Inspired, inspirited. And so anyways, we can see all that... Uh, connection there. And also, I think it's some of this stuff we, we kind of, I don't want to say, some things are, you know, speculative, but I want to think back uh, to Adam here again and just point out here, it's very, I think it's very important and worth pointing out uh, that this is spiritual death for sure, right? Um, there's, there's multiple ways to think about this, but one thing is I think we can almost safely deduce that Adam was not created innately physically immortal, right? Uh, just read the Genesis account. God made, you know, all the, the trees and the fruit and all that stuff for Adam and Eve to what? To eat. Well, if he was innately, inherently physically immortal, 
Why would he need food for strength and energy? You understand? And then you think about um, their access to the tree of life. They had access to the tree of life before the fall. Well, why would they need that? And then you think about after the fall, the Lord closed off their access to it. So they wouldn't live in that fallen state, physically immortal forever. So I think, I think it's more than safe to uh, point out. And, th and then you get into the science side of it. Um, I don't know if you guys ever study like young earth versus old earth creationism and stuff like that. Anybody? A little bit? Um, on the old earth side of the, at least, uh, it's very, very, um, anybody know who Hugh Ross is? Is he incredible? You guys know who that is? You know, that's awesome. Man, you guys should check out Hugh Ross. He was raised in Canada. Uh, no Christian background whatsoever. Uh, fully secular. He's extremely, extremely brilliant. Um, yeah. And he came to faith, I think, as a teenager because he started reading the Bible and saw how it was so clearly scientifically valid. You know, now th that that takes some some nuances. I don't have time to fill in right now, but he's incredible. And um, so he he would look at science, which says this physical universe is some 14 odd billion years old. And he would say scripture fully validates and supports that and backs that up. Now, other people would say Earth is 6000 years old. And that's, I'm not getting into all that. And right I'm just saying that's his site. You know, that's his view. But he's fully scripture, fully Christian, fully brilliant. What is he, an astrophysicist or something like that? Yeah. And um, so he talks about how, you know, dinosaurs, we sort of kind of know generally when they lived and they lived for however much time. And then, you know, they died off, killed off, whatever. So he talks about um, the way he say it is physical death is inherently woven into the fabric of creation. So think about the seasons, think about fall, things, it's so beautiful, by the way. And then, but things start to die and then new life comes. And he talks about how that's not part of the fall. Those things are woven into the fabric of creation. And then you could look at Adam and what did the Lord do? Genesis 1 tells us the earth was without form and void. In the Hebrew, it says it was a vast, empty waste space, more or less, a vast, empty waste. So that's where you get in a lot more speculation um, we don't know, you know, all the answers to fill in all the gaps, but then you get down to Adam later in the chapter and God puts man in this garden, in this specific part of the earth and says, replenish. Well, replenish means it was previously plenished, but here's man and God puts him here. But the Lord says, subdue the earth, bring it under, subdue, bring it under your dominion. Well, apparently there was stuff out there that wasn't under God slash man's dominion. So he made this man and said, just like he tells us in the new covenant, here's my authority, take it, use it, go you therefore. That's Genesis chapter one. God made man in his image and likeness and gave them dominion. Take it, subdue the earth. Whatever out there doesn't look like heaven on earth, take my authority, use it and make earth look like heaven, which was the plan. And so that's, you know, a whole lot in that. So um, that okay? <laughs> okay, good deal. Uh, but I think it's worth pointing out here that all that to say, he's definitely talking spiritual death here. So verse 13, for until the law, sin is, was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now this goes back to Romans chapter two, 
where he says to the Jewish person, yeah, you had the law, that's great, but you still sin even with the law. So death is your lot anyways. Oh, the Gentile. Well, yeah, they don't have the law, but they sin without the law. So then he gets to chapter three and says, therefore God concludes all under sin, Jew or Gentile, law or no law, so that he could have mercy on all, right? And so similar language and understandings here. But isn't that beautiful? He says, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Oh, isn't that beautiful? That's like 1 Timothy 1, where, he saw, where uh, Paul says that the law is not made for a righteous man. And if you're the righteousness of God in Christ, the law is not made for you, right? And then Romans 10, 4 says, Christ is the end, the telos the, in the Greek, the termination of the law. So if there is no law, Mosaic law, hovering over humanity's head to impute sin, we as God's people, whether we know it or not, don't have the ministry or the the right to go around imputing sin. Because you think about uh, think about natural laws, the laws of the land, right? If there were no speed limit laws, you couldn't get pulled over and given a ticket or taken to jail for breaking that law. Because where there is no law, that transgression is not imputed, right? Well, since Jesus has already taken away the sin of the cosmos, John 1, 29, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, we don't have the right to impute sin against people. How can you impute a sin against someone that's already been taken away 2,000 years ago? I mean, it's, it's, you know what I'm saying? And so, and... Think that for yourself. The next time the devil and or your religious tradition and or your conscience tries to condemn you. I mean, half the time you think about it, you really don't have time. At least most of us don't have time to go around imputing sin to people anyways, because I'm such a mess myself. You know what I'm saying? I can't fix me. How can I fix everyone else? And how do I have time to impute other people's sin when half the time you're fighting your own conscience? to believe you're the righteousness of God yourself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so um, the, the, this does require some unpacking and how do we address sin? So without going all the way you know, down some of those trails, you can address sin without imputing sin, which is what Jesus did. Jesus could address someone and say, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, you could take any number of instances. Um, John chapter four, um, you take any number of places uh, in Scripture. Suffice it to say, Jesus could say, yes, this is where you've been. This is your past. You know, John chapter 4, you know, uh, this is going on. Um, I, my brain keeps trying to make me go to John chapter 4, so I might as well. Uh, you know, the Samaritan woman at the well talking to her, um, the husbands and the man you're with now and all of that. He could address that without condemning, legally imputing. Does that make sense? And we can do people that way. Sin is, is not about if you do this, squeaky clean God's going to get you. It's about you're hurting yourself or others or both. Does that make, you, you see the difference? It's, it's not, all right, so marijuana right now, right? There's, there's medical marijuana and then there's becoming recreational marijuana is becoming legal. Let's say opium was made legal. And I'm not saying, dear God, I'm not saying cannabis and opium are anywhere in the same ballpark because they're not. Let's just say hypothetically opium, which is 
where heroin comes from and opiates and pain pills. Let's just say opium was legal, right? So you could talk to someone. He's like, hey, man, I can smoke it, shoot it, whatever. It's legal. I can't go to prison for this anymore. And, but you could tell them that's true, but that's not the point. The point is you're hurting yourself. You're killing yourself. You're hurting others, you know, uh, whatever it would look like. You know, so alcohol, you could have a, a person who's an alcoholic and maybe they're fairly functional, uh, but it's legal. They don't ever drink and drive. They don't ever get DUIs. They don't ever, you know, start fights with the neighbors or whatever, but they're drinking their liver into oblivion or, you know, you know what I'm saying? So sin is not imputed. God is not going to impute a sin he already took away. But because we have freedom of choice, we can still choose, like Deuteronomy, choose this day, life or death. God loves you either way. God accepts you either way. If you're saved through the righteousness of God in Christ either way. But God will certainly let us destroy ourselves as quickly and as much as we choose to. Right? So lot, lot, lots in that, but... uh. That does help with our vertical relationships, by the way. It really helps us to um, how to address and, and practically work out some of these issues. Nonetheless, I got to move on. So he says in verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. So there was no law from Adam to Moses, which is a long period of time. And yet sin or spiritual death or condemnation, all meaning basically the same thing there, still reigned over mankind. So notice that again, verse 14. Nevertheless, death, that is sin, spiritual death, reigned from Adam until Moses. Even over those who had not sinned like Adam did, like in the likeness of Adam. So Adam is the one who committed this high treason that allowed the virus of sin into the human software, if you will. So it infected everybody, right? Because of what Adam did. So we're born, we don't consciously, knowingly live in the state that Adam did and choose to commit high treason against God. They did that. But even though we don't sin like that, spiritual death still reigns overall because we're his descendants, right? Okay, so he says of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of one, that's Adam, many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift, the gift of righteousness, by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Verse 16, the gift is not like that. It gets really wordy here. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression. So one transgression resulted in condemnation for everybody, in other words. But on the other hand, the free gift, that's salvation, righteousness, arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. So he kind of sums this up here, verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one... Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who, now notice this, receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. So there's spiritual death. Now he's talking the realm, if you will, of spiritual life. They will reign in life, spiritual life, 
through the one, Jesus Christ. So again, verse 17, the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. So think about that. Just as, usually it's easier to accept this for Adam, right? We, we, we generally speaking, it's, it's easy enough to accept that I'm sinful, I'm a sinner, whatever people are, because of Adam. Most of us like get that, like, yeah, sure. I, I, I was born into this mess because of him, more or less, right? But on the other side, some reason, it's hard for us to accept that it wasn't my sin that made me sinful, it was his sin, right? But it's hard for us to accept the flip side of that same coin. It's not my righteousness that makes me right. It's his, Jesus. So for some reason we believe, oh yeah, Adam made me sinful. Not me, Adam did this to me. But now I have to make myself right. No, just as one made me wrong, one made me right, right? And so that's both sides of the coin. So, and, he has, and notice he says that here, much more those who receive the abundance of grace, not achieve, not earn, receive. So it's a gift. Then he says this, the abundance of grace, which I love that because I know apart from Jesus, I have an abundance of sinfulness, right? So therefore I need an abundance of grace and of the gift, not the reward, the gift of righteousness. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek you first, he was talking to Jews who were waiting on the kingdom of God to come, right? So he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not your own, his righteousness. And these things will be added to you because you become a child of God and they're part of your inheritance. So those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Verse 18, so then as uh, through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through the act of, uh, through one act of righteousness, there resulted in justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, many will be made righteous. So, so again, verse 19, even so through the obedience of one, many will be made righteous. So notice that it's Jesus' obedience that makes us righteous. So it's not up to me to make myself right. He did this. Verse 20, man, this is incredible. Verse 20, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. The law came in. So, so what's the purpose of the law? So the transgression would increase. And he said similarly in chapter 3, Whenever he's, uh, Romans chapter 3, when he says, for by the, the law is the knowledge of sin, right? So the law can diagnose, but it can't remedy. Make sense? It can tell you this is wrong, but it can't do jack diddly jack to help. The law came in, so the transgression would increase, but, so beautiful, Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, or increased in Greek, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Romans 5.20, the law came in so the transgression would increase, but where sin increased or abounded, grace increased or abounded all the more or much more. And we share that fairly often, but in the Greek, uh, it says where sin 
Perusio, which means to increase. It says grace did hooper perusio, which is hyper increase. So Paul literally advocates hyper grace. He uses those words here. Where sin increased or perusioed, grace did hooper perusio or hyper increase. And that'll scare the religion in, in you just half to death. But it's a person who can recognize hey, I am hyper sinful, who says, I need hyper grace because I know how sinful I am. It takes a real Pharisee to say, that wasn't that bad. Wrong. If Jesus died for you, he didn't die for someone who wasn't all that bad. And that's a good thing, by the way. Me and Linda were talking about some of this yesterday. Um, year, you know, years and years ago, Linda was saying like when, you know, growing up that there was much more of a cultural Christianity and was saying that like, you know, everybody, so to speak, was kind of, I don't know how you'd put it, but uh, externally, there was much more external morality, it seemed, which I, I would say that's partially true and partially not true. But, and I've heard Andrew Womack talk about this, uh, that it's kind of better when things are, there's pros and cons to everything, right? But um, like, you really know where people stand, more so today. It's not so much a cultural religious thing in, in, in the verve of the culture. You know, somebody doesn't believe in God or hates God, they'll just let you know. So, so you really know who to reach. You really know who needs the gospel. You really, there's much more of a clear, where do we stand here? I had a pastor tell me one time that uh, a lady, she said that she had an aunt and uncle who were never saved but they lived very godly lives because they believed in keeping the Ten Commandments. And I told them, I said, that's not possible. You can't, I don't, man, you could live in the, you could be, you could shut, you could isolate yourself in a room and never come out of it and, and never do anything immoral that you're not godly. You can't be godly apart from the blood of Jesus making you godly. I don't care how externally moral you are, the Pharisees were the cream of the crop for external morality. And Jesus said in Matthew 23, you are tombstones full of dead men's bones. You're like a cup on the outside, so beautiful and clean. And on the inside, man, you're just poison, vile venom. A little poetic liberty there, but more or less, you know, kind of the gist of it. So no, you can't live godly uh, by keeping the Ten Commandments and whatever. Um, you could take Keep the Ten Commandments all the way into eternal death. You know, it's not going to do a thing in the world for you. Because as Paul said, 1 Timothy 1, the law is not made for a righteous man. And as he says here, the law was given so that the transgression would increase, not decrease, not stop. Using Mosaic law or any religious law to stop sin is like if your house is on fire and you get your hose and you spray gasoline all over it to put the fire out. The law was given so the transgression would increase, he says here. All right? So the last thing America needs to do is return to God's law. Unless you, by law you mean the new covenant law of believe in Jesus and love as I have loved you. That one will get the job done. But the Mosaic law will cause sin to increase. And that's explicit in Scripture, again, as he says right here in Romans 5.20. The law came in, so transgression would increase. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Verse 21, 
so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.